Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hello and welcome to Podside Picnic. Uh, I am uh, Renegade, not host Kurt, and uh, I am joined tonight uh, by the fellowship uh, to my incompetent hobbit, uh, Car- Carlo and Pete, who who have uh, who have kindly appointed me uh, to do the intro. Hello, Carlo and Pete. Thank f- th- thank you for humoring me. Thanks for having yes. us on. <laughs> you ha- you you have my mic. <laughs> <laughs> we are all at your service, as as they oh, no. say. And then and then uh, also the uh, the uh, you know what I'm going to say the Frodo to my Samwise. Uh, Chris oh. is also here with us. Thank you. You're you're, you're 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 really there when I you know just can't go on anymore, and and you know you're, you'll start carrying me any day now, right? Oh, master, master Frodo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you Taters. know, Chris, Chris. To be honest with you, you already have part of the Christ metaphor as part of your name. So. Oh yeah, there you, you go. You should be Frodo. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're right, and. <laughs> Well, I mean, just I, when I was in in school, when I would take standardized tests, I couldn't fit my first full first name, and it would always be Christ or Christ rather. So, <laughs> I, I, at least at least as far as standardized tests go, I'm already there. So, Christ, you got a bad grade, <laughs> <laughs> Father. Why why have you forsaken me in in, uh, in not talking to the teacher to let me take it again? <laughs> So so tonight we're talking about the Hobbit uh, again. I should say because we really did get into uh, the Hobbit, the book, quite a bit in what was intended to be a uh, an episode purely about the animated nineteen seventy seven Hobbit from Rankin Bass, um, and it was quite wisely, in my uh, opinion, um, recommended by Carlo that we return uh, and talk a bit more about parts of the book that are book specific and didn't make the jump into the 1977 movie and in some cases didn't didn't make the jump into the unnecessarily long and uh dire Peter Jackson uh yeah. version uh, either and there there are quite a few I, I will say uh yeah unbelievably there are things that he didn't wasn't able to fit into like 9 hours <laughs> 9 hours from like I mean how long is the hot it's it's like it's like what 220 pages like just it, I think it just cracks 200 it has to be No I think it's a little bit longer let me let me look that up uh but but please continue <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, I mean, if I if I'm going to continue, uh, you know, holding holding on to uh, to the till uh, of the Buckleberry Ferry, I guess I guess a, a ferry doesn't actually have a have a till. Usually it just has a rope that, pull, that pulls it across. <laughs> we can mix metaphors and say you have the conch. 
<laughs> there we go. Yes, yes. Wow. I, okay. I I have the ring. I get to speak. <laughs> See that that's another uh, uh, Pete. That is another Lord of uh, book. Okay, it's not it's not the <laughs> ring. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's three hundred ten pages actually. <laughs> I only felt different in tone for me. I don't know what Tolkien was going for. <laughs> it's it's like if you you put together the fellowship and then just had them have a battle royale, you know, on an well, island. Fr- Frodo and Samwise need to climb to the top of the island to destroy Piggy's glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. so so we talked a little bit about I, I think our first encounters with uh, the Hobbit in um the previous episode or or you know wherever it falls in the distribution of the many many lord of the rings uh episodes that that are coming out and uh in in the process of so i'm not exactly sure where this will fall in the rollout but um we we talked about our first encounters with the hobbit um but i wanted to ask you all uh when if if ever did you revisit the hobbit uh, and, and, you know, did you have a different, like, like did, did you have different experiences with the Hobbit as you grew up? Maybe as you read Lord of the Rings later, maybe, you know, you returned to it afterwards and had a different perspective. So what, you know, what, what is your, what is your voyage of, uh, of, of Hobbit fandom versus Hobbit appreciation, I guess. Uh, can I go? Yeah, go ahead. Excellent. So. Um, I, as in the, in that previous episode, I talked about how I went on a, one of those, see how many states you can hit on a two week journey with your parents and a car trip. And my mom was on the passenger side reading the Hobbit to us. And that, uh, that, uh, what, what would it be? Fall, I guess. Uh, a couple of things happened. The first was my brother got the blue book, the basic D and D. Oh, and because he was like, I don't know, 10, uh, he didn't have many people he could play it with. And so, you know, uh, me at seven was, was blundering around, you know, in 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 the parties he was forming, you know. <laughs> so and the other thing was because I got so into that particular fantasy lens through Dungeons and Dragons, I I developed a voracious appetite for fantasy, and The Hobbit was the, the first one you ever heard about that wasn't just considered a kid's book. So I read it almost immediately, uh, and it's kind of tough, guys, because yes, I absolutely enjoyed it, but like when, when you take a big snort of Dungeons and & Dragons and then read <laughs> The Hobbit, it's not the same book anymore. Mhm. True. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Um and I I had a similar experience um where so The Hobbit was one of the first books that was ever read to me. It was one of at, at like my bedtime reading when I was a little kid when you know I was too young to read uh to myself was basically like Hardy Boys books um like Tom Tom Swift books. And uh, the Hobbit, and that was that was pretty much like like you know my father was a was a real Hobbit head, is a real Hobbit head I, I should say, and um and so he read that to me, and and so you know to to me, the Hobbit was 
uh, like a, akin to something like the never ending story or the princess bride like it was one of those things that is clearly for kids but it's so formative that you don't really experience it as you know kid media and i i mean it's 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 debatable how much the hobbit is for kids but i i i would say that was at least part of its dna so i read it again um quite a while later like like i i i was constantly reading and rereading and picking through the the hobbit when i was a child and then i went away for a while um and i think in the last episode i i talked about how like i i actually i actually only f- read through lord of the rings in its entirety like quite quite recently um and i i actually i actually still haven't finished uh return of the king um in, 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 you know like in its entirety uh I, because like lord of the rings was like was like the bible to me it was like this big you know spooky book that like I wouldn't necessarily just like start reading. I, I tended to read like ephemera. Like I read more unfinished tales than I read uh, actual mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, you know, for, for quite a while. Um, but the Hobbit, I came back to maybe f- seven or eight years ago and sat down and reread it. And I was really struck by the, the, the way that it, that it feels very apart from Lord of the Rings um, in, in a way that for me enhanced it. And, and likewise to, to Pete's point, um, having consumed so much more fantasy media really made me appreciate the way in which um, th- The Hobbit has a lot of stuff in its DNA that didn't, doesn't really get carried forward into typical Lord of the Rings descended fantasy. For instance, and I, I guess there's more of this in like first edition D&D than later D&D, but like the fairy tale aspects of The Hobbit are are much less present in you know, Tolkienian fantasy um, than some of the other aspects that are more prominent in Lord of the Rings. And so for me, it was it was kind of eye opening. And then I read it last year to my daughter, who is now five and and was then four uh, in the normal functioning of numbers. Um, and she was immediately into it. And what struck me is how lyrical the book is when read aloud. It's it's delightful to read aloud. That's something that, you know, I'm sure that my dad appreciated. Um, and it also just it just comes across very well and like very poetic. And like there's there's parts of it that you're reading, like as you read them, it almost feels like the room gets quiet and like the lights draw down. Low. Like it it has it has a very mystical quality at times to it intermingled with the fairy tale stuff that I didn't appreciate until, until much later. And I had kind of gone away and, and, and I, as until I had been there and back again, <laughs> yes. well, trust the linguist to figure out how to make uh, the language sing, huh? Yeah. A very cunning one at that. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> He's not Batman, but we'll let <laughs> that him go. reference isn't <laughs> going to make any sense by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, this will, this will really go over well. Um, uh, Chris, you want to go or should I? Uh, yeah, if you don't mind. So uh, there's, there was, uh, I've read it. I've read the Hobbit probably, I, I'd say four times. Um, and there, but there's two of those times when it has really changed for me. And I think I said this in the last episode too, where um, I tried to read it too young. I, I didn't quite get into it, and I put it aside. Eventually, came around to like years later. Eventually, came around and read the Lord of the Rings, uh, the three books, and you know, loved it, wanted more. So I decided to finally give the Hobbit another chance and reading the Hobbit after reading Lord of the Rings really, um, you know, 
highlighted the contrast between the style and tones of the two. And I really appreciated The Hobbit much, much more as, uh, you know, as Kurt was saying, it's, it's sort of like a fairy tale set in the world of The Lord of the Rings. Whereas, you know, I wouldn't exactly call The Lord of the Rings gritty, but like it's it's a more somewhat grounded version uh whereas the hobbit is definitely uh, you know a little bit lighter even though some like some dark and, and disturbing things happen um it, it, it's just a, a much more it, it, it's a tale you know much more much less so than a like uh a story if, if that makes any sense at all but um so i, th- I really appreciated it then and then uh taking kurt uh kurt's cue because he actually had recommended this i'm actually in the middle of a re- uh, re- reading it aloud to my daughter um she is four right now uh, actually, and it's funny today, we just read the riddles in the dark chapter and, you know, at first I wasn't sure because I've tried to read some other prose books to her without, you know, there's some drawings in this, but there's not on every page and she's not really been too into them. And for, for whatever reason, this has just captured her. And, um, you know, so we we're we're like, like I said, we're, we're into riddles of the dark, which is, I never thought we'd get that far. And the, there's times where I'm reading and I'm like going on into descriptions and, uh, you know, there's stuff that I'm like, I'm sure she doesn't quite get. And then there's times where I'm like, oh, she's not really paying attention, but then like something will happen in the book and she'll like, she'll like say something and I'm like, oh yeah, she's definitely paying attention. She's catching it all. And like, she's into it. Like she went, like I, I finished up the, the riddles in the dark and it was like Bilbo had escaped and she's like, well, we need to find out what happens. And, and so it was just, it was bedtime. So she had to go to bed. <laughs> uh, and, um, but yeah, like, so she's like, so that's just like Kurt said, like the reading it aloud is very, uh, you know, like almost sumptuous at times because he spends like he he knows he knows his way around words and like it's it's really there are some like sentences that like work better on the page than out loud I think where there's like kind of like you know asides and stuff within a sentence, um, but like it still works and it's still just fantastic. So it, it's really opened up a whole new dimension of like not just you know bridging generations, but also just uh, you know like experiencing it as a as a tale because like like i said i I developed i i realized it was a tale but then like telling it out loud just really um heightens that so it's it's that's that's been my two experiences with it recently at least all right um so i guess my most recent uh, i don't remember the last time i reread the hobbit um, and weirdly, because I, I, I really enjoyed it and it propelled me like with momentum into Lord of the Rings, but I think something about Lord of the Rings and sort of like the way that it's structured drew me in much more often and I'd end up going like, you know, Lord of the Rings, the highlights and, you know, just read certain chapters that I really loved or whatever. Um, but I don't know how many times, honestly, I don't remember the last time, uh, before this last one, um, uh, I had reread The Hobbit. And uh, this time around, uh, to your point, Chris, um, the lyricism was present because I, I, I read it via audiobook, uh, the Andy Circus version of it. And uh, I think I'd mentioned it in the previous uh, Hobbit episode, but you know, Andy Circus didn't need to go this hard. Uh, <laughs> he he did all the voices, uh, different accents and stuff like that. Um, sang the songs, you know, it wasn't just like reciting the 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 song like a poem or whatever. Uh, it, it was utterly charming, and 
And also one of the things that I want to point out that you don't maybe notice when you're reading it, or, or I don't remember often is just how funny some yeah. of the, some mm. of the parts of the book are. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like the fact that um, I, I guess we could probably move into uh, one of the, or, or hint at one of the points that I, I'd like to talk about, which is especially like how Gandalf is like really sort of like, playing like practical jokes on people just to hide the fact that he's traveling with 14 other people. <laughs> you know, the, the part that jumps out at me that's most indicative of that. And, and it, it is, it is word for word in the 1977 version. I think it might be in the, in the Peter Jackson version too, but I'm drawing a blank is Gandalf's little thing. When Bilbo, first meets him and doesn't realize that he's Gandalf. And he's like, not uh, Gandalf, the wandering wizard. And he's like, uh, you know, I am Gandalf and Gandalf means me. And it's such a goofy, like, it's clearly like a, like a slightly silly line. It's both like, I I guess you can read it as like a serious, like more lyrical, almost like epic recitation type line. But to me, it reads very like puckish, Mm -hmm. Uh, like, Mm -hmm. like literally like Gandalf, uh, almost like alluding to his narrator type role. So, so sort of, (laughs) um, and in, in the book, it reads very funny to me anyway. And then in, in the Hobbit cartoon, um, it's delivered with this gravitas, like, and Gandalf means me. And it's like, (laughs) it's still funny, but they even do like crashing lightning behind him and stuff. And like, (laughs) like, it's so clearly like, like a silly line. And there's so much stuff like that. Yeah. From, from Gandalf where he's just like, he's not a dick exactly, but he's like, he's clearly like half-assing it. He's, he's using 5% of, you know, of his power. Like, and he's kind of just like following along and like, observe. He, he almost feels like he's put, he's put the party, uh, he's put Thorin and company in like a Skinner box. And he's like seeing what they do. Like, let me, let me leave them with these trolls and peace out for a while and see what happens. And I'll come back and check in on them a little bit. It's all that leaf, man. <laughs> he just uh. dozed off. <laughs> going off into the woods to find uh, some sort of woodland munchies the hobbit's leaf i like that he's always like hey listen i got business elsewhere all right guys just get off my back i got business to take care of and it's just like he's just so uh uh you know like uh um you know, just like a, a deceptive about like exactly what he's doing and where he's doing it and why is he why is he doing it and like just enough to get like the guys like where where did Gandalf go? Like what what where is he always going off to? <laughs> you make him sound like he's a one of the one of the uh, scammers in Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like one of the things like so like previous reads of this book were either a long time ago or during a D&D era of mine. And so rereading it more recently, one of the things that really leaped out at me is like, like this, this is not a wizard that you min max the stats. You use strength as a dump stat. You know what I mean? It's like Gandalf is, is a hard ass. He's a swordsman. He's, Mm. he does all of these things that simply don't fit um a lot of the more commonly accepted fantasy tropes like it feels like either tolkien was using an older model or built him up for from scratch and i love it either way he's just a fascinating character 
Well, you know the meme that that Gandalf isn't actually a wizard. He's he's just like a fighter with with a very high int, um, <laughs> who, who, who's like learned a few uh, like a magical device uh, levels because <laughs> well, he I mean, actually I think, seem to use his dailies. <laughs> I mean, I think that that it that is funny, but it's also sort of indicative of just how sort of low magic like Gandalf barely uses magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and uh, to a certain degree, uh, I, I understand it from like, you want to tell a story. If you have like a, uh, a wizard who has like no, you know, no limitations, he can do anything. Well, why wouldn't you just tell him here, go fix our problems. And the whole point obviously is Gandalf is out there sort of nudging people and meddling in affairs and whatnot and, and sort of pushing people in different directions just to see, you know, just to try to avoid a certain outcome or to get people riled up or, you know, mobilize X or Y faction or whatever. It wouldn't take a lot of that sort of power to have the ability to close people's aortas with your mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well you know pete I'm you got me there like man. fist of the north star where you know he's uh oh my watch <laughs> yeah well it's, you uh, don't know it's, that you're already dead yeah Gandalf, you know, yeah. Like, he, he basically does that to the trolls though he he basically does fist of the north star then but it's it's like the sun you know yeah well i mean but that that is a perfect example of uh like his trickster nature where like the trolls start bickering amongst themselves right. and at his own prodding because like a voice comes out and he mimics one of their voices they're not very intelligent you know but uh, he mimics it just enough so that one of the other ones is feeling already sort of uh you know sort of uh, uh what do you call it? Argumentative. Yeah. And you know, they, they're like, Oh, well we should roast them. Oh, that'll take all night. Mm-hmm. He's like, what, what did you say? And he's like, yeah. And then he's just sort of prodding and keeping that particular argument going long enough. And it's really, f- it's sort of funny, but it, there are such stakes <laughs> involved yeah. that you're like, this isn't quite as funny as I expected. Well, it, it's a good thing. The trolls are very particular about how they cook their dwarves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> salt, salt bay. Yeah. That scene was what made me decide he's a witcher. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that <laughs> does, that does have very witcher vibes. That is probably, yeah. So, so I know that Carlo like wrote that down specifically, but that, that is one of the most fairy tale esque, uh, that, that literally feels like a German, you know, like black forest fairy tale where it's it's like, Oh, you know, they encounter some trolls, our heroes, you know, are in dire straits. And then through wordplay and trickery, they, you know, the, the bad trolls get their comeuppance and, you know, they steal some stuff and go on home. Except in this case, they continue on uh, to Rivendell. But but the the one thing I want to say, because otherwise we'll get Tolkien heads, um, you know, uh, posting in, in, in the comments is, you know, w- within the cosmology, the, the greater cosmology of Lord of the Rings um, is this idea that the the Istari of of which Gandalf is one, and you know Radagast and Saruman are, are are other two is is that they are not supposed that they are constrained from acting directly. Now that very much feels like a like like a back looking explanation where it's like, huh? Well, how do I justify the fact that you know uh, Gandalf and Saruman don't just like go have a Dragon Ball Z fight, you know, hmm. and you know decide everything? Um, but, but that, that is, that is made explicit, um, in kind of the, 
the greater cosmology is that they're not supposed to um, act directly because it is it is not their story. It's not the story of, uh, you know, the Maiar and Eru Iluvatar, um, you know, triumphing over the adversary. It's it's the story of, you know, man and elves and the other mortal folk um you know and their growth and triumph and their inheritance of the world and so it it very much fits in with that with this idea that and and it's it's worth mentioning like T- Tolkien based Gandalf in part on um one of the depictions of Odin from uh North mm-hmm. mytho- Norse mythology where he would he would be incarnate as like a an, an elderly wanderer um, where he would just kind of like show up and, you know, get a little bit involved, but he was not like, he was not, you know, a, a primary mover necessarily in, in tales. He was like a back, you know, he was, he was, uh, someone who would, you know, kick things off or show up and, and help. And that's very much the role that Gandalf takes is kind of like slightly aloof, clearly very powerful, too powerful for this story to, to function. And so he kind of is, is held at somewhat of a remove. And I think that's, that's actually very effective. Um, well, yeah, I was just going to say, cause that, that really heightens your interest in Gandalf because he's like, you know, not on the quote unquote stage, you know, the majority of the time. And you're always, he, he's like, you know, you're always like every, every character should always be like, where's Gandalf. And so like, uh, you know, like, like Poochie, like he, he's, he's, <laughs> Yeah, he he's so he's so cool that like everybody else is always wondering where he is. He's never on screen enough for you to, or or on the page enough for you to like get your fill of him. Because I feel like a story told directly from either his point of view or centering him in the story would just probably be not as interesting or not as good. It'd just be it'd be too much of like you know it, it's it's like a pizza buffet. It's too much of a good thing. <laughs> You, uh, you said that Chris, until that last yeah. sentence, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, Chris, you, I, you mentioned what you was mentioned that, that about Aorta's cardening? <laughs> <laughs> so, I I know that we're not here to keep talking about the cartoon, but I do want to say that the two reappearances of of Gandalf after a long disappearance, um, or at least two 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 of the three, because I, I guess he, he returns at, at at the trolls as well, but um are animated in a really cool way where when he shows up to kill uh, the great goblin, they just show uh Glamdring glowing in the darkness and moving around. And then like they show the great goblin dying and then it, it, it cuts back to just the sword against a black background. And then the black goes away and it's Gandalf holding the sword aloft. That's fucking cool. That's some mm. great animation. The other one is when he appears in the midst of the battle of uh, five armies. Um, and the, the camera is panning across the background and it pans past Gandalf and then it, it jumps back to him. Um, so I, I just <laughs> wanted to, 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 to shout those out as like being very effective, like visual storytelling uh, mechanics. And I, I don't really remember his reappearances standing out as much. Um, in the book to, to be honest. You mean in at the battle of the five armies or yeah. Or, or when, when he shows up with uh, the great goblin um, and. Mm, okay. Or, or uh, I believe when uh, he shows up at the, with the great goblin, he actually, uh, I don't know if it's, he enhances the, 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 the look of the bluish light 
and sort of makes a column of blue fire. And then as everyone's cowering, he just, you know, runs the great goblin, the leader of an indigenous group of people that live <laughs> in the mountains. Oh, okay. Okay. Tisk, and, tisk. And I have to say they came into their cave, uh, carrying swords, literally called Orchrist the Goblin Cleaver. That's pretty <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> that's like, that's very aggressive. Like, now, to be I kind of understand why the goblins were pissed off about that. Well, yeah. And, and to be fair, the goblins, though, were colonizers themselves. Well. That's fair. That's fair. But technically, everyone is a colonizer in... Um, in Lord of the in, Rings, yeah. In Lord of the Rings. Um, except, I, I guess... Except, Tom Bombadil, maybe? Yeah, Tom Bombadil... <laughs> I, you, you could make an argument for the dwarves um, mm. because they are literally p- like people made from clay, made from the earth. By um, I mean, uh, I forget. I would which, also say that. So the did you say they were mud people? <laughs> I said clay people. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes, sir! <laughs> Cancelled. Um. So yeah, uh, I mean, it, it is interesting because um, you even now, like even in The Hobbit, uh, it's it's very very pared down, but you still do get some of that deeper lore that shows up, like uh, in in something like The Silmarillion. You know, like like you mentioned Orcrist and Glamdring, and uh, the what uh, Bilbo ends up calling Sting are like these weapons that were used like at the fall of Gondolin, which is like. I don't even remember. Is it like 14,000 years ago or something like that? <laughs> it's, it's like a long time ago. It, it, you know, these trolls were just hauling all this bullshit around. So, um, th- so this is going to be a trite comparison, but I love um, when they, br- he like, not he, but like they, the narrator of The Hobbit randomly will bring up the Goblin Wars. And it reminds me, and like doesn't do a lot of explanation other than like that was just the, the big that last battle i know where you're the, going with this yeah, i know where you're elves. going with this and I, and I already love it <laughs> and the elves and everything like that and it, to me it read very much like in the first in star wars yes when, mm-hmm. <laughs> when obi-wan just offhandedly mentions the clone wars and, and you, there's no like further explanation there. and you're just immediately intrigued it opens up the world immensely without with just like a couple words and it does the same exact thing here in this book like now i know they you know that's i, I haven't read the Cimmerillion, but I'm, I'm assuming that that is like further ex, you know expurgated or not expurgated um explained uh, later on but I, I love just in the book where it's just like passing references that just you know give texture and and depth to, to the story yeah what yeah. i'm hearing from you is that disney should do a lord of the rings the bad bunch uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> bite your so, tongue we, it's bad enough that amazon's already doing a lord of the rings something uh. Well, I'm, they're they're going to do the Second Age, which is basically uh, Middle Earth's uh, Atlantis story, mm. and, and like and like that's kind of cool. But at the same time, there's nobody alive who who has the chops to do that the way that it would need to be. I know that it's going to be like the the way that these weird plug and play adaptations are, where where they're like, let's see how much you know, stuff we can cram into like the one spot that, you know, isn't fully explained uh, within, you know, within the legendarium. Mm. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm curious and like, I hope it's cool, but I'm also very, very skeptical uh, about it because, well, I, this is, this is, this is way off topic, but like 
there, there's a very distinct feel to the earlier age stuff, and it's not it's not just like Lord of the Rings stuff that happened before. It has a very different like poetic quality to it. It doesn't really it doesn't really scan as events that happened. It scans as mythology, where it's like, oh, there's only eight people in the world, and this is their story, you know. And they'll be like, oh yeah, a huge army. It's it's like how. How many cities or how many towns do you ever actually encounter in Lord of the Rings? And it's like, yeah. well, there's there's like Bree the Shire, and uh, that's that's like mostly it, uh, and, and it it has that quality, but even more so, where the the, the world feels depopulated except for heroes, um, mm. and I fully expect they're they're going to try to repopulate it, uh, like you know Game of Thrones style, which which it isn't, but it. it can I jump back real quick? I want to talk about Bill the Troll's talking purse because we glossed yes. over it. And it is yes. the weirdest thing in the whole book um, and the most out of step with anything. First of all, Bill the Troll uh, is very funny. That is a very British appellation. <laughs> well, no, no, it's, Bill, it's, Bill, it's Bill, Bert, and Ted. Yeah. <laughs> all trolls. <laughs> Here for your trolling consultancies. Uh. They, really, they really feel... Uh, written as like it's like we're like working class like building mm-hmm. contractors like all yeah. been working all day you know building caves and I just want to eat some hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hear I hear it's very good if you squash them. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's so strange that there's just like a talking intelligent purse. It seems I, it's not even clear if it's intelligent. Um, but it, it's like. It's such an unnecessary detail that it has to be thrown in. Like, it's literally, there's a way that you can detect when someone is stealing your purse, and it's because you notice it. Um, And you don't need, like, a talking wallet that's going, ah, somebody's taking me, somebody's taking me. And so, like, you have to assume that, like, Tolkien put it there because he he wanted it to feel fairy tale like yes yeah. Um, yes yeah it, it's it's one of those it, it's one of those little flourishes that he sticks in that should not work and just completely works f- somewhat a, in a different way than you expected it to it's a bombadil it's, it's yeah a very, it's, it's, it's a, a very bo- intentional, he's pulling a bombadil it's a very intentional breaking of the mold to be like oh look there's there's other stuff in this in this setting and 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 it's it's kind of a shame to me that people people don't get that it's like he he wasn't just like like on one you know it's it's not like it's it's not like he was uh you know like michael moorcock in the late 70s just doing tons of methamphetamine and cocaine and and being like what wacky stuff can i have happen to elric next like you know he was he was it, T- Tolkien was like obsessive about like tone and verisimilitude of stuff feeling like other things to the point that like both the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, e- I would say even more so the Hobbit are almost pastiche mm. like and and that part is a very intentional fairy tale pastiche. Likewise, Tom Bombadil is kind of like a weird, you know, slightly fairy taleish uh passage and it's meant to inform you about the tone of of the world and what you see and what you don't see and i think it really works and i i quite i i love it and it it gives it like a like a very unique character that you can it it, it is one of the things that makes the hobbit feel like like an independent work mm-hmm. apart from lord of the rings yes exactly mm-hmm. yeah I'm I'm wondering about the mechanics of a talking purse of like does like the flaps move when it and just like yells out or or is it just like an ethereal voice or you know I mean it's I just, just talking- I just thought 
Yeah, I just thought that the the little the little mouth of the purse. It, does the purse talk in the Peter Jackson movie? I feel like it does. No, I I don't remember that there was a purse in the Peter Jackson okay. movie. But I I again I I did not like those movies at all. <laughs> so. I may not be remembering much of anything of them. So <laughs> I think we've got two options here. The first is that the the wallet is like a brave little toaster thing, so it's got eyes and a mouth. <laughs> and the other thing is that it's it's like an Apple product. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Siri, where's my wallet? <laughs> yeah. With, with, with the former, I'm just imagining like a scene where like Bill sits down and the wallet just goes, "It's a living." <laughs> <laughs> very, very Flintstones, yeah. I I can think of some horrible things about like a living wallet, <laughs> and nothing nothing happens to it, does it? It like nope. like I, I guess it just stays with the trolls. Yep. That seems like the most powerful artifact that that they encounter, <laughs> short of the ring, <laughs> yeah. maybe the Arkenstone. <laughs> Yet useless somehow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Although- I mean, but I think that that's I think that that's a that's an ongoing thing, with the exception of like the 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 ring itself and the swords or whatever. Pretty much everything else, and I, I think it, it's it's sort of like a, something that goes back and uh, back to the the sort of underlying thing that Tolkien was trying to do, which is that like even the Arkenstone and the Horde that uh, smog leaves behind are basically just they're almost poisoned by his influence by now. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, you know, it, there are certain fun, like certain types of magic that are not really not worth getting involved in and everything else is sort of just under utilized, underpowered or something because again, like, if magic could solve things, I mean, also we, we got to remember that apart from the in story, like the, the whole um, explanation of the Istari, the Istari uh, not being you know commanded to not get involved directly um, apart from that, that's an in story uh, justification, but really the story craft itself, you need to have something that doesn't provide easy ways out of things. Yeah. And I think it would go against the whole uh, universe that Tolkien is trying to build here, because if if magic is is that useful or even worse that ubiquitous, what you end up with is um, completely indistinguishable from technology. I mean, like you'd you'd mm-hmm. have you'd have steam engines with uh, with steam elementals. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You'd have you'd have streetlights that are you know whatever. And I mean, I, I honestly, I think he would have been revolted by that. I mean, just just by what attracts him. Uh, so so I, I want I want to deploy a take, which is so um, people, people who are avid listeners of this podcast have probably heard previous discussions of uh, the Shannara books, which are probably the most famous direct um, Lord of the Rings ripoff and the the gimmick of the Shannara books is that they 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 take place actually not in 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 a mythological past but in a post-apocalyptic future where the cataclysm of the world ending has basically nudged things in the direction of Tolkienian uh fantasy so like you know gnomes and dwarves are basically like mutant 
you know, m- mutant descendants of human populations that have, you know, like evolved over time in specific ways. But my take is that misses the point of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, which is that they kind of already are post-apocalyptic or at least post-lapsarian, where there is a very specific sense that the golden age of the world has has passed. Um, and and Tolkien makes this explicit in various ways. We already in, pa- in passing mentioned uh, the destruction of uh, Numenor and and kind of like the the remnants of that civilization informing a lot of like the the hidden power of great great people in the the Third Age. Um, but there's also like lots of artifacts scattered around that nobody knows how to make anymore. Nobody you know they they can't just make more glam drinks. Um, you know, they don't grow on trees, you know, uh, or, or, or like the rings, you know, nobody knows how to destroy them anymore. There's this idea that they are, they are artifacts in the literal sense of, of an, of a, a lost golden mythic age. And I think to tie it back to the theme of the episode, that's something that almost never comes through in any of the adaptations of either the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. But when you're reading it, you, you definitely get that sense where they're passing all these ruins of great kingdoms that have collapsed and, and vanished. And there's so many people like Bjorn or uh, Gwahir, the wind Lord who are a, a unique member of their species. And there's an allusion to, Oh, well, you know, there used to be a lot of people like Bjorn and Bjorn mm-hmm. is now one of the last, or mm-hmm. it used to be that all the animals could talk. And now only certain ones like this, you know, certain thrushes might be able to talk some, you know, great Eagles might be able to, to, to talk. It's, it's all a very post fall narrative where like the, you know, the, the magic is leaving the world and we are interacting with the remnants of it. Right. Agreed. I mean, uh, and and uh, I would say that Elrond, for instance, is, with the exception of perhaps one other elf that lives on Middle Earth, is one of the oldest uh, uh, people that lives on this side of the the world uh, in in Middle Earth. Even though, and I'm sure that um, Tolkien was borrowing that character. He, he was doing like a reskin of the character just for the Hobbit. Um, because he didn't really need to get into all of that because it's a, it's a kid's book and, and his role in the story is he's the wise, the very wise, uh, person that even Gandalf defers to, uh, who knows because he's been around that long, you know, who, you know, what Glamdring and Orchrist are, you know, um, you know, uh, in 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 the books, uh, I would say that he's he takes on a much more sort of mythic and and melancholic uh, type of tone. It's weird that the uh, that in the movies he's even more different than that. Uh, I did want to point out, Kurt, that I do feel like there is some of that in the the Peter Jackson films of Lord of the Rings. Uh, precisely because they're just wandering around. There's always, there's always some ruin or some column or some, it's not, I don't think it's something that is, that is, uh, it's, it's not something that is, they draw too much attention to. Well, that's, that's just just the ancient civilizations of New Zealand, Carlo. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. No, these are actually the the old sets from uh, from Willow. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, just, they're just passing through different sets of other movies. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, to your point, like uh, Guahir, uh, we had mentioned Gondolin and the fall of Gondolin, the origins of you know. Uh, Glamdring and Orcris and whatnot. And those are like really interesting little tidbits that are, you're just given just enough, you know, like Guahir is great. Uh, he comes out of nowhere and suddenly he talks and you're like, Oh, but then, you know, like if you were to dig into the lore behind it, you know, the, these are servants of a specific demigod uh, and so on and so forth. We, but you don't need any of that. Cause this is like a kid's book and it's, it's cool to have giant Eagles, man. It's just cool. And um, the other thing is, of course, that that the the Hobbit, um, much more so than Lord of the Rings, is very precisely situated in our timeline. It is our predecessor. Um, Lord of the Rings does still do this a bit, but but the Hobbit is, at least in the book, is very specific and explicit about connecting certain things to like, oh, you know, like Hobbits might still be around, but like, you know, they tend to stay hidden now. You probably don't mm -hmm. see them anymore. Um, or, you know, uh, they, they mention it like, oh, well, you know, many of the machines used for war nowadays were probably, you know, invented in some form by orcs. And you can still see their likes on the battlefield, you know, delighting in in combat and and mayhem, just as, you know, they once did in ancient times. Um, yeah. and, and that it, it's a very much it's a very much a literal take on once upon a time, effectively. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think even in the first uh, chapter, you get the 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 thing. Whenever we're stamp the big people, or uh, what is it? When we stamp around in the in the wild, um, or we or the big people, as they like to call us, and it's like it's just a, a direct connection to right now. Yeah, uh, and it's great. I mean, it's, it it works perfectly um, for the exactly the tone that we're we're trying to achieve that early on. Well, Why and, do and you I think th they leave that? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I'm just saying, I, I think that um, really underlines the, the sense of, you know, the, the magic that we've lost because, you know, you look around the world now and it doesn't have quite the same, you know, mystical elements. And uh, I, I think uh, centering that in The Hobbit of like, oh, well, you know, there's, they might still be around, but we, we don't really see them anymore really um, gives you the sense of, you know, like this is a world that, you know, once was and we've lost it. Right. Right. And I think that that circles back around to Kurt's original point, which is correct. I mean, this is sort of like a uh, it's not made entirely clear. Uh, but yeah, like there have been quite a few apocalypses to be post from in, <laughs> in Middle yeah. Earth. I feel like shit just went and back where where him in this case is uh, Baron and Luthien, I guess. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that uh, speak if we can deviate real briefly, because I remember when you were talking about the um, the Amazon uh, program, it's interesting that they're they're focusing on a very uh, sort of grandiose uh, sort of I would imagine it's going to be structured like a tragedy of sorts. But, you know, honestly, like most of the stories in the Cimmerillion are just horrible tragedies jesus yep. christ like no one survives you know like these these heroes um like baron and luthien are are the the biggest heroes they they've they stood toe-to-toe -to -toe, you know the, they were so in love that they stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with basically that world satan um and 
live to tell the tale. And at the end, you know, like, uh, I believe basically they, people just forget about them. They, they live to the end of their days and no one remembers them anymore. Hmm. So my question was going to be, why is that framing story of the connection to our world so often set aside in adaptations of I would say much more so the the Hobbit, but certainly Lord of the Rings too. I think it's it's my 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 gut reaction is that I think it feels too cutesy and somewhat earnest, and uh, you know I I don't know if the Hobbit had been adapted. Um, I mean, even I actually no. I think that even the the Hobbit, the nineteen seventy seven one, doesn't use that either, or does it? It mentions it in passing. It says something like "long ago when the Earth was still young," mm. um, or something okay. along those lines. It, it 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 does a little tiny bit, um, but yeah, but really but only in passing. Yeah, and and that's not quite as I I I feel like that's sort of a, a once upon a time phrasing versus. Sure, you can do that once upon a time, but what Tolkien is specifically saying is, yeah, once upon a time there was a hobbit that lived in a hole and blah, blah, blah. Let me just tell you that they may still be around, and you would see them if you were quiet. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what he's saying. If you were quiet for a change. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I guess just practically... I don't know how it would be done um, depicting it in in an adaptation um, like gracefully, uh, other you know other than like a, maybe in the, a narration or something like that. Or I, I just I'm not sure how that it could be accomplished. I mean, the Princess Bride. <laughs> you have a narrator reading the book. Yeah, you okay. have you have Peter Falk literally yeah. reading the book. Literally Peter Falk reading the book. Yes. <laughs> um, I, it it does kind of uh, strike me as. Uh, gilding the lily a bit or uh wearing a hat on a hat where where like when you are when you are watching you know the movie of it uh it 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 feels like a very unnecessary framing story uh, unless you really wanted to lean into the fairy tale feeling mm-hmm. uh of it be just and that's in part I, I think just because we're we're very comfortable with uh second world narratives in in film um and when thing when when a fantasy story isn't a second world narrative um we expect something quite different and, and so trying to to force the idea that lord of the rings and and the hobbit take place in our own world i i think would put weird contradictory expectations on on uh the audience where it would almost become uh like like a japanese light novel um, where you know you're expecting somebody from the present day to be sent back in time or something, you know, like you just like it, it it doesn't really have have any relevance that it's part of our world from a plot sense. And I think when you make that connection, um, that that's what people are are expecting, at least at least in, in a movie. Whereas I I think in a book, people are a little bit more flexible about it. But I would definitely read a Yankee in uh, Elrond's court. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Just becoming the dark, another dark lord. Just you know, because <laughs> yeah. you could trick people easily. Yeah, 
<laughs> so so we've 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 talked for almost an hour and it occurs to me that in in I, both this discussion and the last discussion we really haven't talked much about the dwarves in general and I know and the the Arkenstone is and like all this the backstory of the dwarves and like the curse and, and it is all is all very central in the book and it was all stuff that kind of doesn't tend to make it comp- in in most forms of the movie so let's we we should at least try to talk a bit about that I feel like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, uh, I think uh, honestly, it, it presents the dwarves in a very, uh, at least in the, in the narrative of the book, it presents them initially as very sympathetic because they've, you know, they've lost their home, uh, and they're trying to retake it. Uh, now, however, later on that just morphs into sort of a hard heartedness on the part of Thorin. Uh, and it becomes more of like about vengeance than just sort of retaking home. Uh, understandable, like small Smaug basically uh, killed fuck all of guy. his family. Yeah, fuck that yeah. guy. Um, and it's not. It's you know what he can't even fit in 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 most uh of uh Doran's domain. Uh, wait, no, I, I'm sorry. That's is that Moria? I, I'm 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 totally blanking on on what. The, the proper term uh for for the king under the mountains domain oh is. yeah i'm not entirely sure uh, right God, right um, off the top of my head yeah well we could but but re- yeah re- regardless um so if if i remember uh the backstory of lord of the rings correctly there's some implication that that curse of gold may have have something to do with uh the the dwarven rings i believe mm-hmm. Um, which which were not uh, like d- dwarves were not as susceptible um, to the curse of the rings essentially as as men were um, because you know men are unique in their like fixation on 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 death and escaping it um, mm-hmm. and so I believe that it is later implied that like. There is a connection, although not necessarily like like, like a one to one. Like, oh, it's it's the rings that that did this. I I I think it's one of those things where Tolkien explained it multiple ways at multiple times. Um, but yeah, it does. It it makes it makes like the dwarves much more nuanced and complicated. Um, at the risk of I think kind of underlining the extent to which. Tolkien was somewhat intentionally making them a stand-in for real-world cultures, in particular, uh, you know, uh, uh, Semitic civilizations or, or uh, you know, Jewish cultures. Um, which, which, you know, when, when you hear him talk about, he he kind of goes on and on about like how much he respects their, you know, their culture, and he clearly intends it in like a positive way, whereas. Like looking at like like he 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 literally says you know like people people forget that you know uh, the Jewish peoples were were very warlike and heroic and and you know they're very good at at you know artifice and and making things and it's like oh no dude don't don't say this though you don't want to do but like he's saying it with such enthusiasm where it's like he's he's in a in a really stupid you know nineteen forties nineteen fifties or at least someone who grew up in that in that era way like kind of trying to to like do them a solid um but 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 it is it is a bit troubling uh to say the least re- reading it in, you know now well as soon as you start saying well 
which type of racism is better? You're already on a pretty awkward path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, a, it's, it's important to, to note that, you know, this is, he was, he was pretty pro- like, he would be progressive for like the time period that he was writing this. That doesn't mean that it's not racist. It's just simply, you know, yeah, he, I mean, he was, he was certainly trying to be in his own, you know, kind of ill-informed way. Although, and, and here, here's the other thing though, like, you know what, like at the time and for quite a while, it, it was seen as somewhat progressive to, to, to base, um, you know, fantasy races on, on real world peoples. Like that was not, that was, that was in no way verboten the way that, that it is now. And you can certainly, you know, criticize instances of it still, but it's, it's not clear to me where, where, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien would have learned that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, uh, it, it does. Yeah. Once you do that, you, you also have to sort of, it, it does complicate, how the dwarves are portrayed. Uh, it still makes for a great story. And, uh, but I also understand like if, if somebody just walks away from, from the Hobbit or anything Tolkien related, you know, because it, he, they, they perceive anti-Semitism in it. I, I get it. I get it. I do. I, I sadly did not notice that when I was a kid. I've since it's, it's become a formative book for me. And sadly, you know, I, I have to sort of carry it around the fact that, well, you know, even your even the guys that you like the best, you, they they sort of screw up sometimes. And to to the so like to change topics slightly, like the the Arkenstone is very interesting because it really doesn't impact, in my opinion, its its absence really doesn't change much, at least in the nineteen seventy seven cartoon and i i actually kind of like like i actually get completely why they cut that like it it does feel kind it the the only thing that that it changes is that's why thorin gets fed up with bilbo is mm-hmm. bilbo is kind of trying to be in 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 a way that almost feels like he's trying to be like the replacement gandalf or he's like oh oh okay the the problem is that you know the dwarves are being like very sensitive about the horde. So maybe if I swipe the Arkenstone, which is like this giant like jewel that is in some way like emblematic of the mountain itself. It's like the heart. It is the heart of the mountain, both literally and figuratively. And he, I, I, I I'm trying to remember what exactly he does. He, he, he brings it to, uh, to, he gives to it Bard, to Bard right? the Bowen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's what makes the dwarves be like, what the fuck, Bilbo? Like that, what? Like, and at the same time, in the cartoon, they just have it where Bilbo was like, "What are you doing, you idiots? Like, why are you fighting? There's there's a giant pile of gold. Uh, you pre- you previously had zero gold. Now you have all of the gold. Like dividing it up in two, uh, you know, two extra ways. But versus fourteen people, really doesn't make a a, a you know a huge difference." Um, and honestly, from a plot point of view, that works just as well. The the only thing that it changes is it kind of removes an a a another piece of magic uh, from the story and a little I, bit more of that 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 color. I, guess. I think. I mean, honestly, I think that I disagree slightly, and I'll tell you why. I understand why they cut it from the the, the animated film. It's because it problematizes. Like it makes Bilbo look like an asshole. 
That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, like he is literally betraying Thorin's trust. Like the Thorin's one sort of rule to him was that if he found the Arkenstone to turn it over to him. And the, the thing of it is that yes, he does betray Thorin, but at the same time, the way that Thorin's portrayed because he's just become completely uh, sort of taken over in a very, uh, I guess uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Siegfried, in Fafnir type of way, mm-hmm. he's been taken over by the dragon's gold, right? The This is another sort of theme. It's not quite so present here because it's a little lighter of a story, but uh, Tolkien definitely has this idea that things like desiring or uh, uh, coveting artifacts and gold or rings or whatnot, uh, even nature, you know, or Mm -hmm. deviating from your purpose, that is a corruption of your, of your nature. And it's, you can be lured by different things and that will eventually lead to bad things happening. Um, now, uh, Bilbo basically gives it to Bard the Bowman in the book, uh, as a bargaining chip so that Bard will have a bargaining chip to have Thorin just open up to him and, and, and start negotiations on sort of divvying up, you know, what belongs to rep- basically pay reparations to Lake town yeah. for sending Smaug over to them. And Thorin says, no, fuck no, it's all mine. It's all our, it's my ancestors. And he's got a point, but at the same time, you know, like you need something to happen. And that's where, you know, sort of bam, they see a cloud of, uh, <laughs> A cloud in the distance, and it's a bunch of bats and goblins on wargs uh, just coming through to attack them. And that's, you know, the, the one of the ending chapters of the Battle of the Five Armies, uh, where we have, of course, the eagles show up yet once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in the not in the animated run one, right? No, they do. Um, they do very briefly. Uh, oh, that's right. That's Gandalf right. is like, and, uh, you know, from, uh, I, I believe that... The way that the five armies are divided up uh, is is different in the cartoon, but it's like a very minor, like semantic difference. Like they count the eagles uh, as a separate army, whereas in the book they count the wargs as a separate army. I think it's very it's it's like it's like a very minor uh, difference, but they they are still there. It, 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 the 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 big difference is that in the cartoon the only the really the only thing you see of the eagles is that one funny shot where it's like lots of like little black specks like moving around yeah. and there's some like picking up and dropping other black specks that you are to understand are are the eagles <laughs> yes yes i think that's that's why i sort of like thought oh, wait but it's also because i think that um that bilbo in the movie is just like oh, i'm putting on the ring bye yeah <laughs> i'm getting out of here uh, whereas in in the book, it's basically he's the one you know sees them in the distance. Oh, the eagles are coming, and then gets conked on the head. You know, um, but yeah, uh, I mean, it it is sort of interesting to see that in the book. And I remember specifically when the scene happens that Bilbo sort of slips away, and uh, I forget if it's uh, Balin who he basically tells Balin to go. Catch some winks. I'm, I'll take over a shift to basically run over to the other camp mm-hmm. and give Bard Bard the Bowman the the Arkenstone as a bargaining chip. Um, I, I remember the first time I read that, I was like, "Oh man, hmm. this doesn't feel good." <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. So I mean, it's, I, it's I, I get why. It, it is a very it is a very book beat where um, something something about adapting a book into a not book is that oftentimes books can get away with having a lot more like twists and turns in them. They can mm-hmm. be a lot more eventful. Um, without coming across confusing because, you know, most books take a lot longer than two and a half hours to, to, to read, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's more of, you know, it's this, this longer, slightly more meandering episodic thing. Um, and the Hobbit is very much, you know, somewhat, somewhat episodic in, in nature where it's like, okay, here's the troll part, here's the Rivendell part and so on and so forth. Um, and, and when you convert that into a movie or a series of movies, it's, it's, kind of understandable that that they're like okay well we should smooth this out a little bit although in the peter jackson um uh adaptation of the hobbit something very funny occurs where um thorin loses and regains faith in bilbo multiple times like i think (laughs) i think in all three movies there's a moment where where thorin stops respecting Bilbo and then starts respecting him again. And is like, you've taught me so much about life, you know, young hop. <laughs> <laughs> then the next movie, he's like, I forswear everything you taught me previously about yeah. life. <laughs> Fuck you. You suck. Get out of here. <laughs> Hit the bricks. And, and that's, it's, it's a shame because the book is, does a, such a good job of um, developing that trust that they have in Bilbo um, you know, slowly and slowly, like um, eventually to the point where he reveals that he has the ring and then they're like, oh, this guy's like been slide the whole time and we've been like fools for doubting him. It's just it's just really well handled and, and having it, you know, be given and then taken away again in the movies is just it's, it's not as effective. It's sloppy and it it, yeah. it, cheap, it cheapens the story beat. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, not to harp on it, but that's that's what happens when you have to divide a, a shorter book like this into three movies yeah very much so well i mean it, it also i mean to be honest with you it just feels like a conflict for the for the sake of adding a conflict mm-hmm. um yeah it, but, it's sort of like a very formulaic approach yes I feel. very much um uh, that save the cat kind of nonsense <laughs> yeah God. save the ring save the hobbit <laughs> <laughs> so um one uh, I, I did want to point out just two things real quickly because uh in the in in the animation uh or the animated movie uh, Mirkwood is just like really shortened mm, and yeah. like Mirkwood is a complete vibe <laughs> it is oppressive uh, i mean uh you had mentioned it in the in the episode uh about the movie Kurt but in the book it really is affecting when they finally like they they give you know, Bilbo boosts up up a tree and he climbs out and he sees, you know, sees trees in every direction and the Black Emperor butterflies and whatnot. Um, and he realizes that, you know, he, he's changed forevermore, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that and the fact that there's a there's a weird turn in the very same chapter or, or the the chapter afterwards I believe right because uh, initially they're captured by the spiders which is presented obviously as an action beat you keep it in the movie uh, but then they they left <laughs> it, I understand why because it just points it would look really ridiculous um, like all the the elves in Mirkwood are very much like fairy elves. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And actually, there's um, 
There is an appearance of that uh, in Lord of the Rings um, when they encounter the like the elf party right as they're leaving the Shire. I believe it is, um, if I'm not mistaken. They 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 like encounter like an elf party on the edge of the Shire. Um, oh, you mean uh, yeah, yeah. G- when uh, Frodo meets Gildor and yes, uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, it's 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 very much they they are, they are very much like fairies. And there's even a thing of like they keep seeing like the elves like having a feast, but they try to yeah. get to the feast and and it it disappears when they step into the circle. It's very like all, yeah, like all the torches. Tale. Yeah, the torches just go out. And the 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 funniest part of it uh, is that whoever actually crossed over into the like crossed over the threshold um, when the lights went out is just like they have to feel around for them because they're just dead asleep mm. oh uh, yeah and, and it's oh, go ahead oh no no I, 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 I was gonna say and and also um bomber is is asleep for a lot of this because he, <laughs> yes. he falls he falls into the water uh that makes him like fall asleep basically <laughs> <laughs> well yeah the 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 one river that runs through Mirkwood and they'd been warned but you you obviously know it's it it has those fairy tale rules right you've been once you hear the warning you realize somebody's going to fall in you know somebody's going to fall in or somebody's not, not going to pay attention to the to the rules and uh it's it's poor bomber who is uh it, yeah uh, uh, one thing the Tolkien was not <laughs> was very apparently not uh, very sensitive about fat people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bomber is immensely fat in this. Uh, he is the, the largest of the dwarves. Mm-hmm. And so after a while, the dwarves get really grumpy at him because they want him to wake up uh, because, you know, it's, it's a chore. It's really difficult to cart him around. Yeah. They're not leaving him behind, but you know, it's also difficult to carry him around. And then, like on top of that, like when he when he comes to, he uh, he comes to and says, "Oh, I was dreaming of eating at a, at a you know a sumptuous feast," and he realizes that there's, there's no food, and he he just like, "No, I, I want to go back to sleep." <laughs> <laughs> I I I I I do want to say that yeah, like uh, there there is something really lost from from Merkwood. Like Merkwood Mer- is like the journey into the unknown um part of the story it's the it's like the belly of the whale yeah Mm. yeah and it's very it's very strange and like otherworldly and they're they're, like they're trying to follow this path and even the part where they're trying to cross the river is very involved like I, i remember like there's like a rotting like rowboat on the other side and they talk mm-hmm. about like the dwarves like build um like kind of fashion like a grappling hook and they manage mm-hmm. to like pull it across and fix it and then they made this they had this whole like elaborate system for trying to get someone across and and then like sending it back for the next person and it is it is a very like they are the furthest from civilization that they ever get in Mirkwood. Um and they they capture a little bit of this in in the cartoon movie um i agree that they lose a lot of that like fairy tale like like uh you know f- fairies uh you know like uh british or or like cornish um f- folklore take but it's nothing compared to the peter jackson take where Merkwood is literally one fucking set it's Ugh. just like one set and they wander around it Ugh. being like where'd you go oh i'm over here oh no there i am and then elves capture them and it's like why would you cut that that's the most like visually evocative part of the movie. Like it's so boring <laughs> that they cut that and they spend 
ages in the wood elves uh kingdom which is mm-hmm. like they're just lo- they're just locked up in cells and it's like a castle thing like it's not it, it it makes no sense to me that they they cut out so much of the adventure part of what mm. is fundamentally like like a, a, an adventure story and that's really weird to me just on a like i don't know maybe they thought it would feel like two princess bride maybe i'm i'm not really sure what the thinking there is though I mean, I, I also think that there's like a lot of, if I'm remembering correctly, there, there was a lot of um, interference from the, from the studio. They wanted to shoehorn like a love, uh, like a love interest type of storyline. And it's like, no, we don't need this. None of the, no one was, was, was signing on for this when they, they decided to go see the movie. Literally, um, I was going to say, and speaking of, of signing on, literally when they got, um, uh, Evangeline Lily as, um, I, I totally forget her, her character because it doesn't exist in, in the books. Um, like she apparently asked them like just to be clear, there's not going to be a shoehorned in love story for this character. And like, oh no, no, don't worry about it. Not at all. And then she shows up and like gets the final script and like, so about the love story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd be pissed too, honestly. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so I guess the other thing we can talk about is the end, right? Because it's, it, it has like this very, um, like an inversion of the is it Elizabethan plays where everything would be end up like at a party or a feast? Oh, I was thinking about uh about the Odyssey, but but yes, yeah, that mm-hmm. too, yes. So you know, Bilbo <laughs> comes back. It's it's great because it's like the the entire chapter is like very sort of lyrical, and you you get this idea that it's ta- they're taking their time going back, uh, yeah, Bilbo and Gandalf. And it just sort of, they come home and Bilbo, I guess, was presumed dead and uh, they're auctioning off all his stuff. It's out the of the Sackville Bagginses. They're, they're holding a. Yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> the Sackville Bagginses have sacked Bag End. Um, and they're just holding a big yard sale on his lawn. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, to, to me, it, it's such a funny and like charming story beat. Um, I re- <laughs> I I really love it because like <laughs> Tolkien has t- Tolkien writes the Sackville Bagginses with such loathing. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He hates them. <laughs> and I I understand though why they don't have that in the adaptations. Um, and it's because I I think with a movie with a movie like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings you want to end on kind of an open like like an end and then a bunch more stuff happens that is even more mythic but that we're not going to talk about and it does kind of undercut that a little bit like like lord of the rings ends with you know the ring bearers going off to the gray havens finally mm-hmm. um and the hobbit ends with bilbo coming back home and being like what the fuck uh <laughs> and and so like i kind of get why they end on that note usually of like bilbo and gandalf leaving to journey home mm-hmm. and it's like oh yeah. maybe they'll have some more adventures on the way who knows what bilbo will will do whereas whereas that added touch I mean, feels much more like okay we're wrapping up you know 
the story. Bill I mean, home again. honestly, the thing that comes to mind, it feels like the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like, you know, it's like, that, 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 that's it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have any more movies. So uh, this is it. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it almost feels like Tolkien's like prefiguring some like later like parody stuff. Cause it's like, it, you know, people always think like, well, what's going on with these people who like go on these long adventures? Like, you know, like, they're they're just leaving their houses and their jobs for like months on end. Is what happens at home? And you know, he he answers. They're they he, they're presuming you did it. They're selling all your stuff. Like, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, like, I I have to wonder if he didn't um didn't perhaps know of this happening for you know soldiers oh, that had won, that's had gone off point. to the war. That's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. Um. And yeah. I, I I mean, it's. Something that we often forget is Tolkien does establish that Bilbo is quite wealthy and people are jealous of him, even mm-hmm. like in the beginning. So there is an element of the Hobbit story where you kind of want him to come back home and he realized and, and now he's a different Bilbo mm-hmm. Um, where like in the beginning of the book he's very concerned with like appearances and he's like whether oh, what people are going to think about all these fucking dwarves and this weird symbol on my door and <laughs> and like what the hell well, is not, are people going to think not only not only that he he's worried about p- what p- other people will think about the dwarves in his house but he's also worried about the dwarves are are going to think he has a bad larder as well <laughs> right right, yeah. right he's like look 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 i'm not racist against dwarves i'm just saying people around here are going to talk <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, like knowing Tolkien's background, he was just riffing off of Odysseus. Oh yeah, totally, absolutely, yeah. That, it, mm-hmm. it it would certainly make sense. Yeah, I I, I agree, I agree. Um, but it is, uh, I mean, it is done in a very funny way. I think even the um, the Odysseus. <laughs> oh well, yes. <laughs> You've been presumed dead. You do not have to kill all the guests on your lawn now, sir. <laughs> I, you know, to the point about like you know the further adventures of Bilbo, though it it is it is uh, tantalizingly implied, um, both at the end of the Hobbit and the beginning of Lord of the Rings that that he does have more adventures of some kind. They're just not, you know, they're they're not relevant to you know, the story of the ring. Um, and so mm-hmm. they don't really get told, but like they, they specifically mention, I, 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 I seem to recall in the beginning of Lord of the Rings where like, Oh, you know, that, that weird Mr. Bilbo always coming and going mysteriously. So I was like, what, where was he going and where was he coming to? Like what? So cl- clearly he was having other adventures. And I, I actually think that there's, there's probably some, some references to like him visiting um, Lonely Mountain, again i think and like staying with the dwarves for a while and visiting rivendell and and stuff and and so yeah like it, it's 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 always it's, it's always f- funny to me that it, it very much feels like tolkien kind of always intended to write more bilbo adventures and then and then was like oh wait i can write about this mythology stuff that i've had in my head and kind of make it you know merge the two ideas um, and so he just like never really comes back to it, which which is is you know I mean I, I'm I'm glad about because we got we got Lord of the Rings out of it, but there is that that first ninety pages or so of Lord of the Rings where it feels very much like it's going to be like oh Frodo is the new Bilbo he's going to have you know a Bilbo adventure, 
Um, and then and then they get to Bree and the fucking ring wraiths show up and you're like, what the fuck's going on? Oh my god, this, <laughs> this didn't happen in The Hobbit. Where's Bill? <laughs> Where's the talking purses? Bring back the talking purses. Uh, all right, I think I think we've we've actually talked through some of the the stuff that uh most of the stuff i should say that uh was not in the animated film um unless i'm missing something uh any last thoughts we didn't really talk about bjorn um but there's not a whole lot to say he's kind of like a proto bombadil i feel like you know he lives Mm. in like a magical Mm -hmm. house and he's he's very animals talk to him but nothing happens yes yeah, his animals talk to him, and it's it, there's tons of. What's funny is that there's there are tons of rules set up where like you feel like like Bjorn is supposed to be very threatening, but then nothing happens. He just seems like like a nice chill guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really want some of his like honey cakes or whatever. Hell all yeah. those all the honey Hell stuff yeah, he man. makes and very beer. Good. I think uh, he has a uh, bunch of beer too, doesn't he? Yeah, mead, uh, mead or mead. or mead. Yeah, yeah, because he's got the bees. bees yeah. yeah bees. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I did want to point out that in uh, in the audiobook, the the Andy Circus does Bjorn with like a weird, I'm not even sure, like some sort of workman like accent, mm. uh, and it's it's hilarious because uh, as because Gandalf, this is the second time you get Gandalf being like a trickster, but in a different fashion where he sort of ropes Bjorn in with like, Oh, this is my companion, blah, blah. blah. Let me tell you about this story. And he starts the story and he gets him like all riled up. He's like, Oh, I, I, here I, uh, uh, here's two other of my companions. Like uh, two more. How many more are you? Oh, a bit more. He's like, how much is a bit? Uh, Don't you want to hear more about the story? He's like, Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about the story. (laughs) It's like really, it's really funny. It's got a great comic timing to it. It mm-hmm. really works. Yeah. The, well, there's, and then like, the, I like the wordplay too, where like Gandalf will let slip. Well, there was like a dozen and, and, uh, Bjorn's be like, yeah, there's like five here. You call that a dozen? And he's like, well, oh, here's two more dwarves. Like, yeah. It's so good. It's Gandalf's yeah. one it's move. So funny. He does the same shit to Bilbo. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, to be honest with you, like he, he was teaching Bilbo about math. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I just was struck this, this afternoon with the, uh, the little song that the goblins sing when they're up in the trees. I was like, is, is this like basically goblin word problems? <laughs> <laughs> if you have 15 birds and 15 five birds in five first trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many little birds, how many weird little birds do you actually have? Per tree, it's like it doesn't matter. You can burn them all. It's like, Great, you get an A. You get an A in Goblin uh, School, okay, yeah. sir. I, I do love that that uh, Gandalf solution to that is just throw flaming pine cones at them. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> so good. Well, he was gonna uh, like basically he's gonna do like a kamikaze. Uh, he they they were already uh, like everything was a flame. He was gonna throw himself on top of them and explode basically. <laughs> <laughs> It's so wild. Uh well, you know. I guess he saved that for later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah true. Lord of the Rings, for instance. <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring and he went no. Um, okay. So I guess we have probably talked uh everything that we need to talk about, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any pressing other issues that I'm missing here? 
Not at an hour and 22 minutes, dude. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Read all The right. Hobbit. It's a good book. Even if you think you don't like Tolkien, I, I, I would say the 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 uh, the extent to which you dislike Lord of the Rings is is almost like inversely proportionate to how much you are likely to like The Hobbit. Um, yes. Because it is like if if you like completely bounced off Lord of the Rings and you're like, oh God, this is so like stentorian and sparse and, and like stilted. Like the Hobbit is a very different Tolkien. So you can, you can always tell when someone is talking shit on the Hobbit and, and doing so in Lord of the Rings terms. Like, ah, you haven't actually read the book. Have you? Because it's, it's, (laughs) it's much closer to, uh, it's, it's much closer to Winnie the Pooh, honestly, than anything else. (laughs) I can't disagree with that. Actually. Um, a, a very a, yes, a very similar sense of humor as well. Very dry. Uh, and you know what? There's also a bear that likes hunting in this too. Yeah. So. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. All right. Well, uh, I think we're we've we've got it all under control. Uh, we went there and came back again. So uh, thanks again, folks, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Potside. Thanks. Bye.